Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today we are reporting uh, 425 new cases of COVID-19 in British Columbia, including four epidemiologically linked cases, bringing our total number of cases to 16,560 in British Columbia. Right, welcome back. That, of course, the voice of Dr. Bonnie Henry, BC's provincial health officer, with another big case count yesterday of COVID-19 in British Columbia. We are well into the second wave of this virus. The numbers surging here, particularly in the Fraser Health Authority. Now, think about this, though: the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on seniors in long-term care. They have suffered kind of the brunt of the force of this virus in the past. There's been a lot of efforts made to protect seniors in care homes to stop the spread of this virus. But what about seniors who are separated from loved ones, separated from family members? They are also taking a toll from the emotional effects of isolation in these long-term care homes. We see increased episodes of uh, depression, uh, increased use of antipsychotic drugs for residents of long-term care. Let's talk about that now with my guest, Isabel McKenzie. She's BC's independent advocate for seniors. She's been right on the cutting edge of this issue. I welcome her back to the show. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Thanks a lot for coming on once again. Uh, you recently had a, a report on care homes in our province and the rules around visits to care homes. And, and this touches so many families, including many of our listeners. Can you tell me the, the, your concerns ar- around residents of care homes right now during this pandemic and the effects this is having on them as they're, as they're isolated and separated from loved ones? Yes, the report highlighted the results of a survey that 13, just over 13,000 residents and family members responded to asking about their experience with visit restrictions during the pandemic. And the story that came back uh, was a very powerful one that demonstrated there are two issues out there. Uh, one issue is that the, the people who are allowed to visit now, the one designated visitor, are not getting very meaningful visits, that half our visits in long-term care are 30 minutes or less, once a week or less, compared to pre-pandemic when people were going in, some people, about over half, were going in every day or many days a week for, you know, two or three hours. The other issue is, and it's a growing issue as, as time marches on, is the number of people who have not been able to see their loved one because they are not the designated visitor. Many residents will only have one visitor, even if we allowed more, and tragically some will have no visitors and don't have any now and won't have any in the future. But you do have some residents out there who had a couple of daughters would go and visit mom and I would go on Monday and my sister would go on Tuesday type of thing. One of those sisters, uh, one of those daughters has not seen her mother now for nine months. And, or you have a situation with spouses and oftentimes it'll be the wife will go in and she's the designated visitor, but the daughter hasn't seen her dad now for nine months. She used to maybe pop in two or three times a week. 
And the solutions are, are, are different with uh, marginal risk differences. So allowing the current designated visitors more frequent, more personal visits, you know, uh, two-thirds of the visits are observed by other people, that's not calling for uh, a significant risk increase at all. Uh, and I think we can, uh, can accommodate that now. Um, the issue of allowing an additional person in uh, mathematically does carry a risk, but I think what we've done is we've we've forgotten to look at the balancing of risk and the total picture and how we can manage the risk in long-term care and really understand that we can move uh, a little bit on this, not dramatically, but a little bit on this uh, and manage that risk if we do what we know we have to do and, and do it properly. Right. So you've recommended uh, increased visits by the in the under the current system of one designated visitor, and then there would your recommendation would be for a second designated visitor al- allowed to visit a resident. Is that correct? That basically that's it, Mike. Although I mean, even if we took it on a basis of immediate family members, so that it's not a uniform um, approach. If the if the comfort level's not there at this point in time. Um, that um, you look at immediate family members, such as daughters and sons, uh, able to be reconnected with their parents. The the concern that I have is that in wanting to make something uniform and universal, we're waiting a long time. And we are in our ninth month now of these visit restrictions. And as I have highlighted, that while... I think it's about 153 people now have, have tragically passed away in long-term care from COVID. Close to 5,000 have passed away of something other than COVID. And during the final months, weeks, and days of their life, they weren't able to spend the time with the ones they loved the most. And, and that was clear from those who answered the nope. survey that had loved ones who were palliative. Okay. Those numbers that you just read, I think, really put this issue into perspective because when you talk about 153 deaths from COVID-19 in care homes, that's obviously heartbreaking and and tragic. But then you you talk about 5,000 other residents of long-term care who have died in care from other reasons other than COVID. So I imagine it'd be things like, well, like heart conditions, you know, Things, things like that. Are, are, are most of those people, 5,000 people, are many of them passing away alone, separated from their loved ones? You can't, you can't get to go in and hold your mother's hand and say goodbye. Is that, is that what's going on? To a large extent, that is, because one of the, the challenges is that um, the people whose uh, loved ones were palliative they weren't told they were palliative until a week or less before their loved one passed away. Um, and half of them, I think it's over half, report that the visits were still heavily restricted while they were palliative, um, and they were restricted to one visitor or, in right. some cases, uh, no visitors. Yeah, no, it's it's heartbreaking to think that. I, I, I've lost my own parents many years ago now, but, boy, those final visits are just are just so important and so crucial. Uh, when someone is sick in in a care home, like both of my parents were before they, before they passed. Speaking to Isabel McKenzie, British Columbia's independent advocate for seniors. Let me play another clip here from Dr. Bonnie Henry. She was asked about 
uh, changes to visits in long-term care, and here's what she said. It is something that we have been working on, and uh, there are many challenges that uh, need to be overcome. Some of them have to do with the PPE and the, the staffing requirements, and those are, are coming along, so that's the good news. The more challenging news is that we've seen this week that we have to be so, so careful um, because outbreaks can spread so rapidly in care homes. And it's not just me and my loved one that I need to be concerned about, but it's everybody in that setting. So finding that balance has been the most, the most challenging thing that we have been faced with. Okay, Dr. Bonnie Henry there yesterday, and not saying yes and not saying no to another visitor for residents of long-term care, but also talking about the balance and the risk with the second wave and the surge of cases uh, that we see right now. Like with the number of cases that we're seeing, over 400 yesterday, for example, can we, can we still do this in your mind? Can we still expand the number of visitors to residents of long-term care even while case, case count's going up? Uh, we can if we do it thoughtfully. I think that remembering that half of the issue is the people who are already going in as the designated visitor. They need to be able to go in for more than 30 minutes once a week. That's not going to raise the risk dramatically, if at all. They're already coming in. Right, um, we right. know our layers of detection and protection. We're taking their temperature. We're doing the health screening questions. We know who these people are. They're washing their hands. They're wearing a mask. When you look at the, the managed risk, and, we, and risk is everywhere. We have kids in classrooms. We have people in restaurants. We have people in hair salons. We have people on buses. We have people in stores. We are, we are able to manage the risk through our layers of protection and our layers of detection. And I mm. think we have to also recognize we need to make that shift in our long-term care uh, system because the risk is everywhere. We're, yeah. we're, the goal is to live with this virus, not eradicate it. That, that was the goal from the beginning, the public health goal that was stated. And we've got to ask ourselves, Mike, how long are we going to continue these prolonged family separations? Right. We're going into our ninth month. Okay, let me ask you this real quick, and then we'll take a break and, and take some phone calls. But it, it just occurred to me that the situation, I, I take your point that the risk is everywhere from this virus, but we also see very different levels of transmission and amount of virus circulating in different parts of the province. So, for example, uh, the big surge that we're seeing now, largely in the Fraser Health Authority. If you take a look at other regions of the province, Vancouver Island, for example, where I don't believe there's been a single person has passed away from COVID in, in a care home on the island, which is which is wonderful, it's fantastic, or other parts of the province like the north or some parts of the interior where there's less COVID circulating. Do, do you think that it's possible to bring in some regional specific rules around visits to care homes, like in, in, in areas where there's a lot less virus circulating, would it be safer to allow increased visits? I think a regional approach has to be contemplated, uh, Mike, given how, how far we still have ahead of us in this pandemic and how much time has elapsed. If this was back still in the early days of the first two to three months of visit restrictions and the first two to three months of managing this pandemic, I think um, we took a province-wide uh, approach and strategy that served as well. But what has also served as well is learning um, as we move forward. 
And we certainly learned from the bed closures in acute care to create capacity, uh, which we needed to do because we didn't know what was in front of us. Um, we've learned that, uh, okay, we're, we're going to manage it differently in a more regional way this time. And I think that um, we're, we're going to have to look at that because the, uh, the numbers are very dramatic when you look at the lower mainland. They're, they're definitely not dramatic here on the island, and they're less dramatic in the north and interior. All right, welcome back to the show. My guest is Isabel McKenzie, BC's Independent Advocate for Seniors, talking about seniors separated from their loved ones in care homes during the COVID-19 pandemic. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Let's go to your calls right now. Chris in Mission. Hi, Chris. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, My mom's been in long-term care since November of last year. Um, I'm very grateful for the care she's getting. But I am devastated that I cannot see her close enough. Like the last in-person visit I had, we were 18 feet apart. There were three people present. Um, She has dementia, so she doesn't understand why I can't see her, why she can't get a hug. Um, I enjoy our FaceTime calls, but I would just be so grateful to be able to actually get inside her facility and clip her toenails and brush her hair and just do the things that I was doing before this all started. Chris, thank you for your call. My heart is, uh, my heart's breaking for you and melting for you as I listen to, to your call. Um, so Isabel, what, what are the rules around that? Like, it, it seems like the rules are, are they different from place to place? I mean, why can't she go in and give her mom a hug or help her? Shouldn't she be allowed to do well, that? Well, that—that's a good question because some people are, and that is the other thing that uh, became clear uh, from the survey is that it's the same virus and it's the same guidelines, uh, and yet uh, there are different experiences that people are having out there. Yeah. And I think what we need to remember is what we know about controlling this virus and containing it and our layers of protection. And I think the other thing that we really have to acknowledge, Mike, is that these family members are essential care partners. So why can that daughter not touch her mother and comb her hair, but a staff person who's going in and out of the care home is able to do that? We we have to have some controls. Nobody is saying there there isn't uh, controls needed. But I think that we're losing a bit of the focus here on the role that many of these family members are playing in the life of of, of their loved ones right. in long-term care. Let's go to another call. Rod on the line, calling from New West. Hi, Rod. Hi, Mike. Um, Hi. I just wanted to say our whole family is thankful. Our 94-year-old father passed in uh, the beginning of March, just before all these restrictions hit before all the the torture hit and 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 i wish all the idiots and morons what are snubbing their noses at the restrictions would realize that by doing so they're just keeping these restrictions going and they're 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 torturing our our most precious resources that we have the people what brought us up Mm -hmm. and gave us life yeah yep Thank you, Rod. Thank you, Rod, for that. Let's squeeze another call in here in the minute we got left. Maureen in Nanaimo. Hi, Maureen. She's got a minute left, oh, though. Oh, hi. 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 
Yeah, my father passed away in July this year. He was in lockdown in a care home in Nanaimo. And uh, the biggest thing he had, he didn't die from COVID. He died from leukemia. But he couldn't even get out to get his blood transfusions. That's how risky it was. The doctors, and we agreed. We were not allowed to be with him when he passed. We could see him one week before, which was frustrating for my family. But, you know, the biggest thing my dad said was to be able to look out the window and see us and also to have someone in the facility that would do things with the people, like counting the aides, the occupational therapists as essential service. He said it was so boring in there and people were so fearful, even if they weren't dying of COVID. As the speaker said, it's not very high risk that way. They're very fearful. So okay. whether or not the families come in or not, I think they need to really look at how long-term care people are looked after in there and up the staffing. Maureen, thank you for the call. Uh, Isabel McKenzie, thank you for coming on again today. We have more calls. We could, we could probably do a whole show on the calls with you, but we'll just have to have you back. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you very much, Mike. All right. Have you ever got an unfair parking ticket? You ever get a speeding ticket and you wonder, hmm, how did that cop know I was going that fast? Was I really going that fast? A lot of people, that thought goes through their mind if you get pulled over by the coppers for speeding. Okay, let's talk about that now with my guest, Paul Doroshenko. He's a criminal lawyer with Acumen Law. His specialty is driving law. Paul, thanks for coming on again. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Hey, we played your uh, song off the top there, your country song there. Like you like Moonlight as a country singer? Is that the deal with this? These country songs yeah, you do? I mean, I, I like the country. I like the classic country music. You know, I have a new song coming out today, five fifteen p.m. You can go to YouTube. It's going to be released. Women whiskey beers. It's going to be a hit, guaranteed. Okay, you're a real renaissance man, that's for sure. Now let's talk about. Um traffic law especially around speeding there are different ways i've always been curious about this there's different ways the cops can catch you speeding right i mean you've got radar and then they've got what about with can a cop follow behind you and measure your speed by looking at his own speedometer on a, on a police car and figure yeah, out and, and charge you can, speeding yeah they can do that i mean the point is that they have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt or they have to be prepared to be able to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt so their training is that they're supposed to make an estimate of your speed and then they're supposed to compare it with something reliable. And if the two things, you know, work together and make sense, then they can give you a ticket. So, for example, if the, spe- if the police officer is looking at you and you're coming across the Canby Bridge, which they are, you know, one of the places they are lately, uh, and they estimate that you're doing 65 and it's a 50 zone and they come back with their reading and it says 80, that's not a reliable, you know, neither one of those things are reliable, right? So they shouldn't be giving you a ticket under those circumstances. Uh, but if they've got something reliable that they've right. estimated and then they have a measurement, then they can give you a ticket. Okay, what about radar? Is that common in BC? Oh, radar? Radar is yeah. all over the place. Yeah, the police yeah. use radar. The police use laser. So radar you can use in different circumstances, right? A police officer can use it when the vehicle is moving. Uh, if you've got moving radar, uh, you don't have to target. You know, you, you are targeting a specific vehicle, but you don't have to be like have it pointed right at that vehicle for you to get a reliable reading. Um, so there's lots of police officers using radar. RCMP vehicles are often equipped with moving radar, uh, which are capable when everything's functioning properly of recognizing, you know, the different speed of the police vehicle and the vehicle that they're tracking. Wow. Uh, so radar is very common. Laser can only ever be used when the, when the police officer is standing still. Okay. I didn't know they had a laser. Like what's the difference between radar and laser? 
Oh, yeah, they're completely different. So laser is uh, um, basically taking distance measurements of the vehicle over a short period of time and then doing a calculation of what the speed is. Is that is that the one where you'll, you'll see a cop on the side of the road and he's pointing like a, like a gizmo at a moving car? Yeah, you can, you can tell laser? it's laser radar. If it's laser, you've got two glass lenses, basically, that you're looking at. If you see the police officer and they've got it pointed at you, you're looking at them with two small glass lenses. And they can either be one above each other or they can be horizontal depending upon the model right. uh, okay. and it you know it's sending out a laser and it's it's checking the 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 distance that you're at and then it's calculating how much distance you've covered to come yeah. up with a speed right and are both of those like let's say if you get a the cop nabs you with radar or laser high tech are both of those typically slam dunk tickets like is there any way to fight that in court i mean if or they got you red-handed if they catch you with one of these with a radar or laser no, because there's a bunch of other procedures they've got to do, right? They've got to have a speed estimate. Then they've got to use the device. The device has to be properly tested before the shift. The device has to be properly tested after the shift. So there's so many different variables there. And you can get inaccurate readings a uh, uh, hundred different ways. You know, you can get uh, what's called laser slip, where the beam from the laser is basically starting at one point of the vehicle and moving to the other. It's happening very quickly. But if it gets the, like the, the side of the vehicle, for example, you'll get an inaccurate reading. With radar, you can have all sorts of different uh, interfering uh, events. So anything vibrating on the car, actually, or on the vehicle can affect it. Um, but, you know, they're generally reliable. How, how do you know whether the device has been tested? Well, the officer's got to testify about it. Uh, you know, if you're having a trial, then the officer testifies. But if you're there at the roadside, you haven't a clue. You know, lots of times people will phone me and they'll say, you know, I thought I was doing, I thought I was doing 60, and he said I was doing 80. Uh, you know, right. unfortunately, if the speed limit's 50, you're speeding either way. Uh, but, um, you know, they, they can be inaccurate, and they, and they often, you know, we end up going to court, and the determination is that it wasn't reliable. Okay, we're going to open the phone lines here in a minute. So if you ever if you have questions about speeding infractions or any kind of road infractions and tickets, get set to call Paul here on the open line. But Paul, let me play this first for you. We're already getting calls for you on the buzz line. So somebody phoned in on the buzz line with a question for you. Let's play it here. If a police officer stops you and you're not on your cell phone, but it's off and it's in your pocket, and he takes your phone, turns it on, and scrolls through it and says, I see a logged phone call, you fight it in court, and you take your records from TELUS that show there was no activity, no calls in, no calls out. The phone was off. And yet the judge says, well, even though you have records that show the phone wasn't being used, and the police officer says he saw a logged phone call, meaning the phone was in use when he pulled you over, and you still get a ticket, did the officer have the right to demand my phone that was in my pocket that wasn't even visible to anybody? Hmm. Interesting. Paul? I say it's a charter violation. Uh, the police officer should not be searching your phone, should not be touching your phone. It's uh, You've got a right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. Uh, the police officer taking your phone. What, what is your phone? I mean, your phone has your whole life in it. It might as well have your, your personal diary in there. Uh, it's uh, it's got all your secrets in it. A police officer is not allowed to just grab your phone for the purpose of a ticket and start scrolling through your and phone. They, 
Have you ever so, heard of that before? Like it kind of. I, I, I've never heard of it happening. I've never heard of it happening. I know that you know there's the legend of it happening, but I've never had any client call me and say the police officer looked at my phone afterward, and I, I just don't see it happening. All right, welcome back to the show. Mike Smith here. My guest is Paul Doroshenko from Acumen Law, and we are talking about traffic law in British Columbia. Have you ever fought a traffic ticket? 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898, toll-free in your cell. Let's go right to your phone calls. Avtar in Delta. Hello there. Hi, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Paul. Um, quick question. I drive a 2017 Honda Civic, and it has a charging station right at the front there. So I have my phone lying on there. It's charging. I got a ticket for using a cell phone because simply it was sitting there and charging. Now, I eventually did fought the ticket, and I ended up winning. But my question is that shouldn't there be some repercussion on the police officer? Because I had to take half a day of work to go attend and explain all this, and he didn't even show up. Okay, Paul. Well, the world isn't fair. Um, the police... Uh, have really not been clear on what the rules were because the earliest interpretation, and even when you go to ICBC's website, it suggests that you can't have your phone basically within arm's distance uh, unless what? it's fixed. Unless it's fixed. But that's not the law, right? Okay, that's not I must the law. be bra- That was I never be- intended to be the law. Well, I, I mean, I've got my phone plugged into like a, a power outlet on my dashboard all the time. So you tell, and it's not. You know, and you're, and you're just, fine. You're fine. You're okay. fine. I think right. his website is not accurate. Okay. So, yeah. the, you know, there's misinformation out there. So you wonder why are the police officers giving tickets that they shouldn't give? You know, each time these court decisions come out uh, where we find out, you know, no, you, you can have it in your cup holder. That is fine. Uh, but you know, for the longest time, police officers were giving cup holder tickets. And Good now right. they don't. And so you might have got a cup holder ticket. And by the time it came the day to go to court, uh, for the trial, you know, we've got a decision from BC Supreme Court that says, "Well, no, you know that that's acceptable." Um, okay. So, you know, this is uh, this is a lack of clarity in the law, uh, and you know, my Kyla has been trying to push the government and tried to make it a, a part of uh, issue in the provincial election, but we've got a lack of yeah. clarity in the law, and it needs to be fixed. Okay, Dennis on the line in Burnaby. Hi, Dennis. Hello. How are you, Hi. gentlemen? Today. Good. Um, Okay, I, I, I was a victim of a rear-end accident one day, and uh, I asked the gentleman for his, I caught her my car with my, with my ID, my license, and everything else, and I asked this gentleman for his identification. He refused. I thought, well, maybe he misunderstood me. And I asked him the second time. He still refused. Did you phone the police? So that, well, just a minute. Then I went, then I said, well, fine. I marked down his license plate number and, uh, and proceeded to phone ICBC later that day. I was on my way to the airport to pick, pick somebody up, and I was just running late, so I, I couldn't have waited for the, for the police. But okay, anyways, okay, let me, let, me get Paul, let me get Paul's take on it because we had so many other calls. Paul, go ahead. You have an obligation at an accident scene to provide your contact information and your contact details. Uh, if the person doesn't do it, they're committing an offense. Uh, you can certainly call the police, but these days with a cell phone, most of the time you're taking a picture of the other person there, right. and a picture of their car, and a picture of the scene. Uh, and if they won't, uh, if they won't self-identify, you call ICBC with that information, and they'll figure it out. But it is an offense. You are required at an accident scene to to provide your contact information and and uh, and identify yourself. Okay, Mike on the open line in Langley. Hiya, Mike. Yeah, good morning, uh, 
morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, get your guest. I, I have a quick one for you. Um, laser radar, fault laser radar two years ago. Uh, the constable stepped out. I was not speeding. I'd seen him. I'd seen him uh, in advance, well in advance, so I'd slowed down. Anyway, he pulled me over. It was hailing at the time. Uh, um, I said to the constable, really, it's hailing? Did that thing works in hail? He says, well, it works in anything. He would not give me the speed I was slowed at. He wrote me up. Um, I took it to court. I went to the judge. I said to the, when I was interviewing the police officer, the constable, I told him it was hailing at the time. And he denied that, said it was, oh. he said it was right on the, uh, so uh, I said to the judge, well, the constable's not telling the truth. He's not being truthful. I didn't call him a liar. And uh, the judge says, well, I have to take the constable's word for the weather conditions. I actually had a copy of the weather conditions, but she said <laughs> uh, that day, but she said that's not admissible. So okay. anyway, I was wondering okay. if your guests knew if, if that would have it. Paul, if, your thoughts. Well, uh, I can, it sounds like there were some mistakes made there uh, at the trial. Maybe the, uh, maybe a problem with the uh, judicial justice who heard it. Uh, but, you know, it really depends on the evidence that you've got. There is evidence that is admissible that you can find on the Internet that's just a regular business record. For example, if you go to the, uh, uh, the Government of Canada, Environment Canada website and print off the weather. Well, um, but, of course, if the police officer's got a, a note that says the weather's great, and you don't have any contemporaneous note about that, the, the uh, judge is entitled to make a decision about who to believe. Can, can hail or other weather conditions impact or affect the performance of the laser? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the, uh, there are circumstances where they're not supposed to be used. Okay, we just got a minute here. Hal and Langley. Hi, Hal. How you doing? Yeah, I'm in the same position. I've got a speeding ticket by an RCMP officer, and he... Uh, Pulled me over. I asked him to show me the gun, to how fast I was going. He said, I don't have to. Got into uh-huh. an argument. He gave me the ticket. I went to court 18 months later in Abbotsford, and the judge said that he didn't have to show me the gun, and uh-huh. uh, I was guilty. Wow. Okay, Paul. Is that true? Yeah, it's actually one of the most common questions I get is, the officer didn't show me it, didn't show me the reading. Uh, you know, they, So far, they're not required to show you the reading but there is an issue there with respect to disclosure you're entitled to full disclosure of the particulars uh, and some officers have have come to the conclusion that that includes a photograph of the reading that they had so every once in a while we get an officer who has made the decision full disclosure is a photograph of the reading and so they take a picture of the uh, of the reading on the device there would you would you recommend like if you do get stopped and the officer says i caught you speeding by radar and maybe you don't think you've been speeding, are you within your rights to at least ask to be shown the reading? I wouldn't bother because they're not going to show it to you uh, unless they're volunteering. So why would you make yourself more memorable to the police officer? Uh, The smartest thing you can do is moments after you're pulled over, take really good notes of everything that took place as best you can. uh, And, you know, then you can call a lawyer and talk to a lawyer. about it. We only have one minute. David and Colonia, you got to go quick. Years ago, hi, how are you doing? Uh, years ago in Penticton, I was driving to West Bank to work, like 3.30 in the morning, and nobody on the road, maybe doing 5, 10 over, and I'd get pulled over. And the first line of questions is, you know, have you been drinking tonight? Have you, you know, any open alcohol in the car? And no, no, no. And, um, you know, the next thing I know, I'm getting a speeding ticket. And okay, Paul, do you think we've only got, we have 30, Paul, we got less than yeah, 30 there, seconds. There's an issue of, of notifying you of why you're being detained, and the police should be notifying you off the top of why you're being detained, okay. and there's a concern All right. there.
Hey, Paul, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Uh, All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the COVID-19 pandemic now. And have you noticed that maybe you're having more unusual dreams during this pandemic? Or some people are reporting that they are remember their dreams more clearly recently. There's been lots of stories and uh, coverage of that during the COVID-19 pandemic, the impact on sleep patterns and especially on dreaming. So are dreams being affected by the pandemic? What a great guest I've got for you, Lainey Dolphin. She founded the Dream Interpretation Center in Montreal in 1997. She teaches dream analysis at Concordia University in Montreal. Her blog at, is at psychologytoday.com. It's called Understanding Dreams, and I'm very pleased to welcome her to the show. Lainey, thank you very much for coming on. Hi, Mike. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, you bet. Uh, thank you. So are you noticing that? Are you noticing any kind of changes during this pandemic? Are any of your clients reporting to you that maybe their dreams are changing or they're remembering their dreams more vividly? Yeah, it's not that the dreams are changing as much as it is that more people are remembering dreams, and uh, they were more so remembering more often during the time when we were quarantined at the beginning, and we were home without an alarm clock disturbing you to wake you, and you have a more relaxed uh, wake-up time, then you increase your chances of remembering your dreams. But uh, Hmm. whether whether you remember them or you don't, A dream is the conversation that you're having with yourself about a very specific current issue that you are attempting to problem solve. And so the dream, it's just a conversation. Dreaming is just thinking. And what happened during, especially during the quarantine time, and even now it continues, is that many of us are trying to solve the same problem. Yeah. Because it's a, a lot of it is around the virus. Right. But when you go to sleep tonight, if you had five or 6,000 things happen to you today, your unconscious is going to prioritize the same way as you prioritize your conscious when you wake up. Who do I have to call? Who do I have to email? What do I have to do today? Your unconscious, when you go to sleep, it prioritizes the one thing that's bothering you the most. Mm. And all of your dreams tonight are going to be you having this conversation, trying to figure out different possibilities about how you want to respond to the people and situations in your life. 
Okay, that's fascinating, and I've I've often been interested in it. I'm I don't know a whole lot about psychology, but you know I I I know a little bit about Freudian dream analysis. Is, is that kind of what you do in your practice? I'm actually eclectic, and I mm. use Freud, Jung, Adler, and Pearls, and I developed from their theories six points of entry. I call them, and the reason I call them points of entry is because it's like, how do I want to enter the dream to uncover why I had that dream last night? That's your first goal, is what situation in my life triggered this morning's dream? And there's six ways that you can get there. I could just spill them out and give you a couple of quick examples. Is that good with you? Yeah, go ahead. Well, one is you want to isolate the feelings. And the second one is identifying the symbols, metaphors, or characters in the dream. Mm. The third is puns and play on words, because we use them constantly in our sleep, the same way as we do in our waking life. Like uh, one of my favorites is someone who's dreaming, oh, I'm looking for a washroom and I can't find one anywhere. And finally, I find a, wa- I find, um, a stall And I get into the stall, but then I'm stuck there, and I can't get out. And my question to the dreamer, using a play on words, is what do you think is going on in your life that you're stalling? What are you stuck in a stall about? Ah. And then there's the action, like the woman who's dreaming that she's jumping out of a burning chair, like total flames. And that dreamer had that dream, an action dream like that because she was procrastinating bad. And so the dream provides a safe place to rehearse and literally makes her jump, like in a physical way almost. And another action dream is, I was running, but my feet weren't working. You hear Hmm. those all the time. Hmm. And then there's the plot. So one woman was dreaming that um, the spider that she was sure was dead, that she had killed it, this spider keeps, like, waking up again and being alive. And so that was about an argument that she was having with her husband that she thought was dead and gone, but he keeps bringing it up. He's, like, holding on to an argument that they had a couple of months ago, and that's why the spider that she thinks is dead keeps uh, being alive again. Wow. Amazing. My guest is Lainey Dolphin. She is a dream analyst. Her blog is at psychologytoday.com. Okay, here's what I want to do. I think this is going to be really cool. We're going to open the phone lines, and here's your chance to talk to Lainey, to, uh, Lainey, and if you have a question about a dream, maybe a recurring dream you've been having, you're wondering what it means, get set to call me on this. But Lainey, let me ask you this real quick. This is a personal one for me, okay? This is something that I've experienced like lately. The one that the one that kind of comes up in my dreams quite often is I'm, I'm trying to get somewhere and I just can't get there. So, for example, the other night I, I was in a car, I was driving somewhere and I had to urgently get to some appointment or something and I get lost or the car stalls or I just can't get to where I'm going. I see this frequently in my own kind of dreams when I remember them is I can't I get I get lo- I get lost or stuck. Or I can't get to where I'm going. What is that telling me? Well, if you're listening to your language, um, which you'll be able to hear if you play back the tape, (laughs) you're having trouble getting somewhere. And so 
if that you, so i would ask Weird. you what do you think is going on because you said it's a recent dream yeah i don't know because i so you know. there's some it could be that you're trying to get somewhere in your relationship with somebody yeah. or maybe it's that you're trying to convince somebody of some subject Hmm. So, you know, or maybe it's the weight, some weight that you're trying to gain or lose. So you want to be looking for some situation in your life, something you're trying to get to that you're having trouble getting to. You don't seem to be able to get there. All right. Welcome back. My guest is Lainey Dolphin. She is a dream analyst. She teaches at Concordia University in Montreal. Her website is haveagreatdream.com. Your calls to her 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Let's go to your phone calls here. MJ in Coquitlam. Hi there. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. So this is going to be very heavy. I lost my only child um, April 2nd to a fentanyl poisoning. He was 16 years old. Um, uh, wow. So, Mike, yeah, thank you, Mike. Uh, Logan Williams, um, a very successful okay, actor, Logan. beautiful yeah. person. So, yeah. my question is, I've had one dream, and the dream, basically, in a nutshell, we were at a dock party, and Logan was there. He never spoke. It was the, the Logan, like the 16-year-old Logan, and um, there was a pot of whales. And we were all in awe with these whales. And then Logan jumped in. And then the next scene, he was riding on the whale's back. And he looked so happy. And he was in his glory. And we were just all, uh, the people in my dream were just, wow, in shock. And then um, the, the pot of whales came closer. And he was still on the, on you know, basically on the back of the whale, so to speak. And then we all reached out with our hands, trying to help him, trying to help him. Um, get get to the dock, and then he slipped and went down in the water, and then the whale uh, went kind of after him, but not in an aggressive fashion. What? Tell me. What? Right, oh. and that and that uh, is, if that was my dream, that would be me rehearsing the loss again, but in such a beautiful way. Beautiful that you have a pod of dolphins there. Wow. And he's swimming Whales, with them, yeah. and what Whales. you know. And the message to me is that he, you you're letting go in the most loving and beautiful way. Goodness gracious! And that's what we do. It's the same thing, like you know, if you're getting used to anything, you know, you repeat, repeat, repeat. And the more we do something, the more it becomes uh, um, easier for us to access. And that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. You're saying goodbye, and you're doing it really in a, such a positive way. I just can't believe the whole thing. Bless you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, Orcas, and just on a side note, quite funny, I always, Logan and I watched Blackfish several times because we both, we love Orcas, and I always said, you've you got to watch Blackfish because it's so significant. And, and so maybe that's kind of interesting. That's where you're getting your dream. imagery from. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. MJ, well, thank, thank yeah. you for calling and sharing that. And please accept my sympathies on the loss of your son. I have, I have read about Logan, and that's a terrible loss. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Pat in Vancouver. Hi, Pat. Hey, Mike. So Hi. I worked for 30, 30 years in the film business as a department head, and I had a dream that happened constantly where I arrived on the first day of shooting on set and I had prepared absolutely nothing, nothing. I didn't even read the script. And I spent the first hour trying to just get caught up on the very first shot, knowing that I'd be behind forever. 
And then I retired two years ago, and now I have basically a similar dream where I'm now working for somebody else, and I still don't know what's going on. I'm running around like everyone else knows what they're doing, and the department head is a friend of mine, but I have no clue what's going on. Right, but you want to take the dream. You don't want... Dreams are not literal. They're metaphoric, and that's actually what I do more than anything is I'm teaching the language of metaphor. So because your dream is got like job style things in it it might be about work but not necessarily you'd want to be looking at somewhere some uh you know some situation this week the same week you have the dream where you're having some trouble getting getting caught up or being ready you see what i mean yeah except it's always the same dream over and over again no matter what's happening Yes, but the the same dream over and over again is the same exact thing as a favorite expression. So if my favorite expression is, oh, darn it, which it's not because I'm on the radio, (laughs) but I could have said, oh, darn it, like when I was 15 years old because I missed the bus. And I could have said, oh, darn it, 20 minutes ago at 68 years old because I wasn't sure that the ringer was working on my phone. So, so Pat, so Pat, Pat, thank you for the call, by the way. But so if, if someone has a dream like that, Lainey, you would, you would advise them to try and examine what's going on in your own life and, and connect it. There, there's something that's... What's making you feel that way? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's squeeze in another call here. Richard on the line in Nanaimo. Hi, Richard. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'll be quick here because I'm at work. I'll just hang up and listen to your response sure. after I'm done. Yeah. Uh, so it's the last little while, yeah, dream, dreams have been increasing for a lot of people that I know, uh, a lot of people in my family. And uh, a few nights ago, my brother had a dream. I had a dream and my father had a dream. And all three of us were awake around one thirty in the morning from a very similar dream. And my brother's dream was that he couldn't, he couldn't protect his children. And my father's dream was pretty much exactly the same, that he had no protection. And my dream came across the same thing, except I was able to be able to protect my children. And uh, uh, actual God came to me and said the only way that to protect is to, for everybody to get on their knees and Whoa. pray to the God. Heavy. And, That's uh, only got like a religious experience. Lainey, what do you think? Yeah, right. and well, then, uh, I think the woman... I'm gonna I'm gonna focus more on your father and your brother uh, feeling like they can't protect. And I just want to uh, liken what I'm going to say to the same thing as um, uh, as being in uh, working a muscle in a gym. If you can normally lift in anxiety times, let's say that you're capable of lifting normally about five pounds of anxiety, okay? I'm transferring it over to use weights as an example. But, you know, if you go into the gym and you work those muscles, the dream is the gym. And so when you're feeling anxiety about something, that's where you get these big nightmares where you can't protect your children and you can't do that. And actually, you know the expression, been there, done that? Mm, right. And, and that's what's happening. And actually, you don't realize it, but your dream is giving you the workout in the gym so that when you get dreams like that, they're not a bad thing. They're actually a great thing because then when 
real anxiety hits you during the day, you're more ready for it because you've been rehearsing at night. Okay, Lainey, it's been fascinating to have you on the show today. We've got more calls, but sadly, we're, we're up against the clock, so we'll just have to have you back, and we'll do it again, okay? Thank you very I much for coming that. on. Sure. Okay, wonderful. Thank you.